This morning, we continue in our sermon series on Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and and this morning is really part two of last week's sermon. If you ever want to catch up, if you ever want to sample some other sermons in the series or some other series over the years, they're all archived um, as soon as Monday morning on our website, graceredeemer.com. I'd encourage you to uh, go looking, podcast it, stream it, however you can access it. Our passage is really a transition between the first half of the letter. We pointed this out last week. I'll point it out again today. Between the first half of the letter, chapters 1 through 3, which talk about position or our identity in Christ, this is who you are. And then next week, we'll begin to look at our practice. Now, chapters 4 through 6, live in light of that identity. And this transition at the end of chapter 3 happens to be another prayer of the Apostle Paul, now asking that God would give the Ephesians power to know His love. Let's read again, starting in verse 14. Listen carefully. These are God's words. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to His power that is at work within us, to Him, Be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you do deserve and you should receive all glory and you will for eternity with your people, with the holy angels. Truth will reign. And until then, Lord, we ask that you would more and more reveal the extent of your love, that you would show us that there is no greater treasure that we could want, that we could possess. Show us through your Spirit within us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we said that Paul's prayer for the Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith was not a prayer for conversion, but it was a prayer for a deeper and fuller experience of what God has in store for us in the gospel. And what we needed to be rooted in, verse 17, is God's love for us in Christ, verses 18 and 19. That's the essence of Paul's prayer, that you would know his love. God cares more about that reality than he cares about the test that you're going to get on the, uh, the score that you're going to get on the test this week. God cares more about this reality of you resting in His love than that promotion that you are angling for or the money that you need to pay for your deck repair. And that's not because God is only focused on the spiritual and eternal and that He ignores the physical and the material, but it's because He realizes and He knows fully as the designer of His people that knowing His love is the only path towards fullness. That's a word that we'll explore a little bit later. Um, let's talk first about measuring love. That's the imagery that it's at the heart of Paul's prayer, measuring love. 
Uh, you know, it's only been seven months since we had our first worship services here in this building. And it's still a fresh memory going back to May 2016 when I first stepped foot on this property. I stood outside uh, along the street on the grass with Ken and the real estate broker who handed me a piece of paper summarizing the, the dimensions of the building with one number, 56,000 square feet. And uh, it was astounding standing in front of the reality looking at this number because dimensions-wise, at the time, we were living in a cramped warehouse totaling 11,000 square feet. Mind-boggling. Just from the street, without stepping foot inside, the dimensions struck me as immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, verse 20. Friends donated furniture to us a while back, and while Cedar was interested in the pictures, I was asking about the dimensions. I was thinking ahead to, I got to rent the truck. I have to ask my man-child to get on the other side of this furniture and carry it out of one house, fit it onto the truck, carry it into our house. And in the back of my mind, I'm remembering these nightmare scenarios of, of a dresser smushing me into the wall on the stair landing, realizing I was losing this real-life Tetris game because the piece wouldn't fit. I wanted to know dimensions. I didn't care what the thing looked like. And kids, you, you, you get a sense of dimensions in your lives. When you are at a party and you get a little piece of chocolate cake, the first thought in your mind is looking around at everyone else's piece of cake because you want to know, your fear is, is my piece smaller than everybody else's? And if it were polite and if it were available, you'd pull out a tape measure to make sure that there is equality in the world to make sure that yours is no smaller than anybody else's. Parents, if you find chocolate frosting in your toolbox, my apologies, but maybe you could translate that into a teaching opportunity to talk about the dimensions of how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. That's what Paul's praying for here, dimensions. Do you have any idea of the dimensions of that divine love? Have you ever tried to measure it? One last imagery for us to think about. If you uh, drive down the New Jersey Turnpike around exit 8, you start to see these massive distribution centers, these warehouses bigger than anything we see up here in North Jersey because it's too crowded to fit that kind of building. And the businesses don't necessarily mean anything to us. It's nothing personal. It's nothing that we're connected to, but we can't help notice because of the scale of the dimensions. When it comes to the dimensions of Christ's love, though, it's different. Because if you're not a follower of Jesus, you won't simply notice the dimensions as you go about living your life. You won't glance over there and, and uh, be surprised, let alone marvel at it. The love of this Jesus who lived and died 2,000 years ago isn't relevant to you, not like the love and affection that you crave from your family and your friends, uh, and if you're married, a spouse, perhaps even the affection and admiration of coworkers and other circles. My prayer this morning is that you'd begin to notice that God would give you eyes of faith through His Spirit to see, to be interested, to long to know and rest in that kind of love.
If you are a believer in Jesus, the same question continues. Do you know the dimensions of this love? Have you studied it? Last week I said, if you think you've got a handle on it, you're either deceiving yourself or you're looking at the wrong God, a false God. Because if you know this Jesus, if you've tasted his love, if you've, if you've begun to experience what it means to stand in the face of how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, you grow quickly in realizing that you've only scratched the surface. You've hardly put a dent in understanding Christ's love for you. Real understanding of the dimensions of Christ's love comes through the little moments of everyday life. And often through disappointment and pain and suffering and moments of loneliness. Uh, Two scenarios, maybe you could relate to one or the other. When somebody's just snotty towards you, rude for no reason, do you angrily respond? Even if it's inward, whether you say anything or not, that is a sign that you need respect. You deserve, you feel, affirmation. Who is this person to treat me like this? I didn't do anything. Your self-made identity feels attacked, and your instinct must be to defend yourself. Or do you trust that the love of Christ gives you an identity, gives you a meaning, gives you a security that even the rudest attacking person cannot put a dent in? And when you have that unshakable identity because you know you are loved by the King of all creation, you can respond in peace with love. When you're lonely, if you've been abandoned or rejected, do you jump at any chance to fit in? Do you position yourself for approval? Do the right things, wear the right things, say the right things? Do you look for quick hits of pleasure and escape through porn, through excessive video gaming, through overeating, through alcohol or drugs? Or do you grow in seeing that Christ's love for you, undeserving though you are in your sin, is enough? Our instinctive reactions, and that's what I mean by these everyday moments of life, these aren't sort of defining crossroads in life. These happen before you've brushed your teeth in the morning. These happen as soon as you show up in your office. These happen late at night when you're just watching TV. Our instinctive reactions and our typical prayers, the way they sound, what we end up asking for, they reveal what we think are the solutions to our problems. More respect, more affirmation, more money. Better health, an easier path of life. But Paul prays for something so very different. Spirit power in your inner being so that you can know God's love for you in Christ. What does it mean to be a Christian? It's not defined by showing up at church on a Sunday morning, every Sunday. It's not defined by sacrificial volunteering for great causes. It's not even defined by believing in God without any doubts. What does it mean to be Christian? The essence of Christianity is this. In your condition of sin, hopeless 
in and of yourself to do anything about that because it's rebellion against the king. It's, it's a capital crime against the Creator. Do you know God's love for you in Christ? That's the essence of Christianity. In your sin, do you realize that a solution has been offered to you and it is displayed through the love of God in Christ? Do you believe that this love was most fully displayed on the cross where Jesus suffered in your place, where He paid the penalty of your sin and defeated sin and death that you might live and be freed? And then the most natural step is to grow in this knowledge and experience in community. As Paul prays for this power to know God's love, he inserts this little phrase in verse 18. He says, that you may have power, comma, together with all the Lord's holy people, comma, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. You can't do this on your own. Growing in your experience and knowledge of this love of God in Christ happens in the people of God, the Lord's holy people. Some translations put it saints. That does not mean super moral people. That does not mean people better than others. The saints are all those who believe in Jesus. That's the context in which you can grow in knowing this love. You might say, I've never seen God but if He reveals Himself to me, then I'll believe. Here's what the Apostle John says in his first letter. He says, no one has ever seen God, but God. Uh, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and His love is made complete in us. You want to see the love of God in action? Look around at followers of Jesus. And if you've experienced this love, if you know this Jesus already, by faith, then display it, then share it, talk about it, overflow it, study it in God's Word together. That's how Paul says, together with all the Lord's holy people, you can grasp the dimensions of Christ's love. The church is where this happens, by the design of God. Uh, that leads us to the end of Paul's prayer, knowing fullness Let's trace the flow of this prayer again. It's, it's a, in an abbreviated fashion. It's up there for you, and I'll paraphrase here and there. Paul says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, verse 17, may have power within the church, within the community of faith, verse 18, to grasp the dimensions of Christ's love for you and to know this love, verse 19, that is unknowable. That's interesting. This is a mysterious yet revealed knowledge that comes from experiencing life with God in Christ. It's not knowable otherwise, but it's been revealed to you, and you can grow in knowledge so that what? Here's the end of the prayer. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Do you remember that old army recruiting slogan, be all that you can be? That's really what Paul's describing here. Uh, a challenge to reach your fullest potential. He puts it in uh, the language of being filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Why? Because there's a, there's a difference between an army recruiting slogan, they're going to put you into shape, right? They're going to help you reach your maximum potential. The difference is God's the one who designed you, and He knows better than the army. 
He's more powerful to do this heart surgery within your inner being to accomplish your inner potential, your greatest potential, which is to be filled with all that God is and all that God has and all that God desires to give to you. It's the end of the prayer. Paul's first prayer back in chapter 1 ended with the same word, the same thought, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. In the next chapter, chapter 4, we'll see this in a few weeks, this is how he'll describe the church growing to maturity, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. One last place in the Colossians, which is sort of a parallel letter, Paul says this about Christ, "'For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness.'" All of that reflects the main idea of Paul's prayer here in Ephesians 3. There is no fullness and there is no fulfillment apart from knowing this love of Christ, apart from resting in it, apart from marinating in it, being rooted and established in this love. That's the ultimate purpose of you being created. That's the point of your life. That's why you're here on earth. That's the highest goal you can have, to become like Jesus, who is the model of what it means to be fully human, to be fully free, to be all that He can be because He has always been sinless. How do you become like Christ? Do you just try harder to be like Him? If you think that's possible, you reject Jesus who alone is Savior. You can't be partners with Jesus because then what you're saying is what He did on the cross is not enough. You belittle that unique and irreplaceable work on the cross that alone is sufficient. The only path is to know and then to rest in His love for you. If that doesn't sound practical enough, if you are insisting that you want three keys to knowing Jesus, here they are. Read God's Word. Meditate on God's Word. Memorize God's Word. If you say you need more than that, you need to start at the ground floor. If you say you need more than that, more specifics, more to-dos, more, more things to hang on to, you think it's much more up to you when God has accomplished it, and your job is to know this and rest in it. There's a reason that the Apostle John calls Jesus the Word of God, because Jesus was the fullest and clearest expression of everything that God represents. He came in the flesh. Nothing in the Christian life, no spiritual experience is possible apart from being rooted and established in love. Whose love? The love of Christ for His church. There's no other way to personal fullness, fulfillment, than the truth of God's Word being revealed to us. Last thought, this is really after the prayer, beyond imagining. Did you catch the irony first in um, verse 19 that Paul prays that these believers would know the dimensions of Christ's love? And then he ends with this praise, verses 20 and 21, this doxology, we call it, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. There's more paradox here. 
He says, know the dimensions of Christ's love, but you'll never be able to measure it. He says, see how big God is, and you'll realize you'll never reach the end of that seeing. Pull that tape measure until it stops. Ask all your friends to borrow their tape measures. Line them all up, and you will be closer to realizing that the limitless nature of God can never be fathomed. And you'll fall to your knees when you realize you can't even glimpse where it ends. Cedar and I are usually invited to a friend's Christmas party. And the first time we went years ago, there was nice Christmas music. There was a fire in the fireplace. There were drinks in the kitchen, uh, beautiful Christmas decorations all around the house. And the dining room table was filled with crackers and cheese and all kinds of snacky things. And it was wonderful. And we enjoyed ourselves. And a couple hours in, I started getting hungry. I started longing for hoping that there was a ham or a rib roast coming out of the oven, maybe a lasagna, maybe a catering spread in a room I hadn't gone to. As it turned out, this wasn't a dinner party. This was a cheese and crackers party. And now we know. I think the church has an opposite problem. Too often we're thrilled with the rich crackers and cheese when God has a feast for us in mind. Too often, we never make it out of the foyer because there's a plate of cookies there. We love cookies. And we never even make it into the great hall where abundance and feasting and revelry are available to us. We never make it in because we're not even looking for it. We're not even imagining that there could be so much better. People, you are invited. The king longs for you to know his love for you in Christ, to believe it, to trust in it, to rest in it, to revel in this feast, to know this love that surpasses knowledge that is far more than you could ever imagine. In order to imagine, you need to close your eyes. Would you do that right now? Close your eyes. I want to speak to you personally and challenge you personally before I talk to God on our behalf. First question, do you ever pray like Paul prays here? Do you ever long for yourself and for your loved ones to know this love that surpasses knowledge? If not, you're settling for cookies and crackers when there's a feast available. I want to challenge you this week to turn to Ephesians 3, to turn your non-existent prayer life or your weak prayer life that settles for crackers, that's aimed at far lesser things, and ask for God's power that you might know Christ's love, that you might experience the fullness of God. And if you don't know Jesus yet, would you even ask God, if you exist, give me power through your Spirit in my inner being, so that I might know this love. And we'd love to talk to you about this. Steve, who led our worship, uh, I, I myself would love to pray with you after the service. That is the first step towards new life. Second question, what do you imagine in everyday life? Maybe this question is more to the point. What do you fantasize about? 
People, some of it is outright sinful. It runs counter to God's perfect plan for you. As Simone prayed, name it and kill it, lest it be killing you, lest it slay you. Other stuff that you fantasize about is okay, good, but you've made it far too important. Instead, cultivate the fantasy of standing in the presence of Jesus. What does he look like? What is most amazing about that scene? It won't be the treasure or the mountains or the clothes you're wearing, even though all of that will be far more beautiful than you've ever glimpsed. It will be the thought that you, guilty from sin and brokenness and rebellion, but trusting in Jesus, are fully loved, accepted, embraced, forgiven. Can you imagine that? Surrounded by His glory, will you stand in His presence or fall to your knees? Will you sing hallelujah or be able to speak at all? Lord God, we ask through your Spirit in our inner being, open the eyes of our hearts, clear away the mess clear away the the junk that so easily fills the eyes of our hearts, our minds, that leads us to fantasize about that which is worse than crackers and cheese, is nothing at all, is poison to us, and give us power to know how wide and long and high and deep is this love. Stir in us a spiritual imagination that be what we might experience the fullness of all that you have in store for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.